boss is back. The boss is back. Yeah. The bonus podcast from Vilnius Studio with the full squad is also back. We're actually on a pace of Euroleague teams. You know, one guy is missing from time to time every once a week or something. I would say that the average Euroleague team is also missing like one or two players in every game. If we would put any average on that. Uh, FS fans might argue with this. They're not missing one one player, I think, every week playing seven guys, but hey. But usually you sign pretty good replacements when when there's someone missing. Or j- I'm just playing, you know, you two guys and I'm I'm happy with the results. <laughs> so nah. you can't go wrong when you go with Veritas and Augustas. So welcome to the Rebonus Podcast. Unusual timing because this Christmas time, New Year time, the trips that I had Kind of the Augustus also had some time off. It kind of confused the whole rhythm of the Urbanus podcast, but we're about to get back on track, at least for the upcoming few upcoming weeks. And we're coming off a night where we had seven games, and many of them, of course, clashing each other. And as I spoke with Paulus Matunas, the Euroleague CEO, it doesn't feel that we are going to have a change. But if you want to hear more about that, uh, actually, we just published the. 40-minute conversation with Paulus Matunas that you can watch on uh, basketnews.com channel. Uh, we, we we spoke about a lot of topics, including uh, concerns uh, over Maccabi, potentially clashing Fenerbahce, for instance, in the playoffs. We spoke about uh, Dubai, if they're ready to join the league as soon as the next season already. We spoke about two Belgrade teams aiming for uh, wild cards, long-term, li- long-term licenses, and what they need to do in order to get that confidence from the league and a lot of uh, other stuff. Uh, but we'll mm, for sure we'll cover some of these games of this seven-game schedule. But let's start with the hottest topic of the week: trades, Euroleague. Mm, how to put it? Because th- there were a lot of uh, miscommunication a lot of misconception about this whole thing that was brought up and it actually goes not just through fans not just social media but also the players but the fact is that the, the executive director of the Euroleague head coaches board Goran Sasic mentioned that quote unquote we conclude we need to distribute this responsibility for the results evenly and we will work with the Euroleague and ELPA to introduce a trade principle that could be applied from the next season so that clubs can exchange players and the whole European basketball just went crazy trades uh, most of them they don't want trades uh, a lot of overactions although the reality is that it's just the start of the brainstorming process there are no decisions there's no such thing as let's do trades on Euroleague's agenda on Euroleague's table and this is just the idea coming off uh, coaches board which will need to go through a lot of filters, through a lot of discussions with ELPA, with the EuroLeague, and then we'll see if it's possible to do something. Uh, but when you heard this topic brought on, what were your first reactions, your first uh, thoughts, and would you see a scenario where we could have trade system in Europe? Rita well, was skeptical on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I had a lot of questions about it. Like, why do we need that? What good does it bring to the league? And how will that work in practice? Because, uh, well, first of all, NBA is North American League where you have 29 American teams and one Canadian team. So basically, uh, I know state laws and state taxes differ, but still they are teams from the same country. Here you have teams from all over Europe, 
uh, the laws are different everywhere. Everywhere the taxes are different. So if you trade someone's contract, it doesn't necessarily mean he gets the same amount of money. Let's say when he plays for Monaco or wh when he will join a German team or Italian team or no, whatever. Um, the second question is, do the players have a say in it? Or is it like the team just can trade you and one morning you wake up ready for practice in, I don't know, Belgrade or Madrid, and then you get a phone call saying that, pack your bags, we're going to Konas. Uh, I think players wouldn't want that. I mean, most of them, let's say they are from other countries, they bring their families, uh, they try to find a school for their kids and, and stuff like that, and they don't want to get traded and sent to some other country when they establish some kind of life in in. Istanbul, Madrid, Barcelona, or Tel Aviv, or any other city they are playing in. So that's another question. The third one is like, we have a league that doesn't have a salary cap system. It doesn't have a, a draft system like, like draft the NBA. Yeah. So do we see that many scenarios where uh, two GMs are talking and one is saying like, we need a point guard and you need a center. So give me this guy and I'll give you this guy and we'll we'll both be happy. Uh, I don't really see that. I mean, it, it's not like you can't trade players now. I mean, you can find agreements. Let's say someone terminates contract and he will join your team and we will take the other guys. Like we saw players moving now between clubs. It's not trades. It's, it's still more of a free agency market or a buyout market. So... Uh, once they establish this whole uh, idea with, with all the points, how will that work? Uh, what will be the system? Will there be a salary cap? Uh, will the players be able to, let's say, uh, veto the trade or add a no-trade clause to their contract, which which never was a thing in Europe? On top of that, EuroLeague teams are still competing in their national championships. I mean, it's not a closed league still, so you imply some rules for your own league and... I don't know how that will work, and I don't know if we need that. Maybe you have more insight about it, so you could, could share that? Nobody cares about insight and the real information. We need reactions. So let's start from reactions, okay? What was yeah, also Gustav's reaction? This is why this podcast Because nobody's is checking a, facts, a, actually. Everybody is just I would love to know some, stuff. I would love to know some facts. There were no facts uh, on, the, on, the, on the actual mm -hmm. announcement. This is not the first time I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this, you know? He, he wants us to give reactions, and then he's yeah. just, yeah, you, you guys, this is all wrong. You know, I have the insight. But um, I'm just asking questions. I didn't yeah. state any any. Uh, I agree with you. Anything. I, I agree with your points completely. I think it's way too early and seriously uh, to talk about trades, actually, because as you mentioned, you need salary cap first and foremost, and uh, you know, without that, I can't imagine any trades happening uh, soon. But uh, <clears throat> uh, one point I wanted to be against, you said. Uh, Ritis mentioned that, you know, I don't think there is one team who needs forwards and another who needs guards. I think this season we saw some teams signing too many forwards, you know, like Zvezda or like Milano. And uh, let's say Panathinaikos uh, could have had some guys mm -hmm. in the guard position to lend to these guys, to lend to these teams, especially to Milano, for example. And they could have made trades, but that wasn't possible because Kevin Pangos couldn't just, you know, manage his contract situation so basically that was the problem i thought some teams could have definitely benefited from some trades mm -hmm. uh Jalgris, for example one of those teams being and uh so i think and these trades 
as in like just a thing, an object, it, you, it will be yeah. good for the EuroLeague, for the content, for teams to have flexibility to sign guys because we saw how thin is the market right now. Yeah. And the market is only going to get thinner because I think a lot of other regions are, are having much more money. So you have a smaller player pool. So trades would kind of help teams to, to, I don't know, uh, deal with injuries early in the season, especially. But on the other side, if you sign with Valencia and you are traded to Jalgiris Konas against your will, against your will, probably not going to be happy. Uh, I know the same is, you know, even if you play in the NBA, but the re difference with the NBA is you have much longer contracts there and the money you actually get is much bigger on, on yeah. average. So you can and you sign up for this uh, the, the day you enter the league like you know that that's yeah. that that's gonna happen yeah. that might happen to you at some point of your career and in I your league you've been playing here let's say for five six years and all of a sudden they introduce this this trade system and for example if you are signing for one year like who in europe signs for more than one year one plus one is is the standard contract only the leader of the team only the yeah. captains of the team the best players i don't know the the 20 tw only 20 tw 30 players have two two a year how two many year clubs contracts? are here that actually give long-term contracts i mean real madrid is the prime example who else i mean FS, i remember FS, once asphalt gave five-year contract to david, david lighty but I, I don't think there will, will be too many teams yeah. trading for david lighty so I remember I, I'm I'm doing the video on right now on Milos Teodosic and he signed a five-year deal back in 20, uh, 17? 20, 20, 2007 with Olympia Cost yeah. ah. and that was one of the weirdest. I'm like five-year deal in Europe. How many of those we had? And because he was a kind of a prospect, I would say he was yeah. young, up-and-coming star. That's why. Yeah, he was twenty years old. And it was way more popular concept of contract to sign those guys for very long-term contracts. And now we don't we don't have those and you're signing for one year and then you get traded mm -hmm. after three months. It's, I don't know, it's definitely something not the players would like. Only rich clubs can afford to sign long-term deals. Like mm -hmm. like I said, Real Madrid, one of the examples. And no player who, who, who sees an opportunity to increase his value and sign a better contract will commit to a three or four year deal with, with teams like uh, Jalgeris, like uh Bayern Munich and and many others and what about unless they are local players like role players and one one more thought what about um Euroleague I think needs to become a closed league to yeah. introduce trades I agree what about if you I'm signing for less money to yeah. play in Valencia but I know that I have a chance to actually play but next season they're relegated to Euro Cup because they don't have an A license an another thing so exactly you need a closed league for this you need a salary yes. cap I, agree. I think uh, it's good that um, EuroLeague and the EuroLeague head coaches board uh, wants to introduce this. Yeah. But I think we are very, you know, it's far away in the future and many problems have to be solved before that. The thing is that in the NBA, teams do business together. Like one team is interested in building for the future. So obtaining draft picks and players on expiring contracts uh, is, is good for them. Maybe they want to do a salary dump, get rid of a big contract. And yeah. the other team wants to strengthen the roster because they're a title contender, so they exchange assets. In the EuroLeague, every team wants to win because losing doesn't bring you anything good, right? So uh, you only trade when you see value, like we get better at point guard, but we give give away a, 
a forward, but you're giving it to your direct rival because in the EuroLeague, every team is a direct rival fighting for a playing spot, for the playoff spot. So, uh, because in the NBA, you sometimes just send the player to, to the different conference and you, you have no headache because you know you will not meet him in the playoffs and, and, and all that stuff. Mm. In the EuroLeague, well, you're giving a player to your rival to make them stronger. Maybe you're getting something back. So, I don't know. I'm kind of skeptical about this. A lot of fair questions. Yeah. I would say just on top of that, I will add a couple of reactions coming from players. I didn't see many players actually discussing I the saw matter. Joffrey Laverne with vomit, vomit reactions. Pu- yeah, just vomit <laughs> emoji. emoji. Exactly. <laughs> and there was also Dylan Ennis who brought a good point. Yeah. Imagine coming home after, long pra- after a long practice just to get a call that you've been traded to a different country. Good luck keeping marriages healthy with this. Oh, let's not forget about turning the kids' lives upside down. For imports, this would be a disaster if not done right. Uh, there, there were a lot of uh, comments from fans, of course. No, it takes away the magic of the EuroLeague. Don't try to make EuroLeague like the NBA. Don't ruin it. Uh, copy-paste of the NBA. Uh, it won't work because of the reasons we basically uh, mentioned. Mentioned. Uh, but the thing is that there were just too many overreactions. First of all, just to clarify, it's not that EuroLeague considers this thing. It's the idea, again, brought by basically one department coaching department and it's this idea just taking its baby steps uh i tried to reach out to to as many people uh, that are could be or could be involved in this matter and i was told by help of people that situation is clear there's no chance that players will move to another place if they won't approve this move so just in case um Team A and TB, Team B approves and agrees. And if player A and player B also approve this move, the deal will happen. I wouldn't call it a trade. Uh, it's the same like we're talking about the salary cap in the yearly. There won't be such thing as a salary cap. We, because salary cap includes a lot of different aspects, not just the uh, money that you can spend for contracts, but also, you know, super max contracts, the rules of the contracts. Uh, I would call it a luxury tax that is about to kick in in the EuroLeague. Uh, I heard some parts of this concept that uh, might be (coughs) introduced to the EuroLeague in the upcoming years because there for sure there will be some transition period. And it basically includes some, uh, some ceiling for salaries. And if you sign a few couple players over that ceiling, you have to pay something like a luxury tax that other teams will distribute. So so just in case, you know, to help those teams also to grow and to kind of keep some some rules of, of the of the contracts. Um, regarding those trades, uh, as I've been told, there's no such idea or hope that players could move without their approval. And the whole thing is just to help out players if they get stuck in situations like Kevin Pangos got stuck in Milan, uh, you could say that Kyle Guy was also at the end of the bench of Panthinaikos quite early into the season, so it was kind of clear that Panthinaikos will try to move him. And the whole idea is just to make this uh, player's movement more dynamic, trying to help them. Because right now we have this very complicated transfer window where it's basically only one week to transfer. After the first round, you have a few days to move or to be deregistered 
and uh, it's the new thing that you can be deregistered before the round 18 and then you can move until February 7th deadline but no team can afford deregistering one of those let's say more important players that you could potentially uh, trade uh, so the whole idea is just to make this players transfer more dynamic to help players find their fit to help coaches uh, in terms of let's say making more moves with the roster instead of uh, GMs going with this oh I will rather sack the head coach instead of making you know few cuts and and few new signings and also for teams it will be I would say efficient in a way where in the current market it's so hard to find good midseason signing it the market is thin first of all uh, a lot of teams, even from the Eurocup or BCL level, they can put some crazy buyouts. I remember the last year it was mission impossible to uh, to buy out um, Trent Fraser. Trent Fraser. That was the player from Belgrade FNP. FNP. The Dragiris was interested. The the buyout they asked was about half a million euros or something. Not, not only Dragiris, a lot of teams were interested. But yeah, so it's not just you're, you're basically limited to a limited pool of free agents that might be not at the required level to actually give a, a boost for the team. So those trades, smart trades, uh, trading some players could help those teams also to improve and to change their situation. So mm. that's that's about it. That's about helping all the main departments, uh, teams, GMs, head coaches and, and players. It's n it's not going to be like like in the NBA for sure. And of course, there's also the fourth player in this mix, uh, like media or just general conversation about the EuroLeague because if you remember there was quite an action during this transfer period where a lot of players changed their teams uh, given the short uh, window to, to move and let's say what let's imagine if we had few weeks of this transfer window being opened you know what kind of talks that there mm. would be the deadline thing would matter way more than right now because they basically put the deadline on January 1st I mean, we're talking about holidays, so it's not the smartest, uh, you know, day and, and, and window to put those deadlines. So, you know, the whole concept, the whole idea is just to help the league not to play those trade games and put mm. players in uncomfortable situations. So you had most of the answers, but you still forced us to talk for 10 minutes about, yeah. about it. That's yeah. what he does on this podcast the regularly. Only, the only regularly. question that remains is, is like, <clears throat> if I sign... Uh, 500,000 euro contract with, well, Monaco, let's say, as an example, and I get traded to Munich, do I move with the same contract, with the same I, I'm, I believe that in like, the ideal or, world, or should I resign and agree on some compensations, some splitting the salary. Basically, the way it works right now, but I think that they just need to improve this whole situation. I mean, there's some, like legal stuff that you probably need to talk with the with with the lawyers and everyone before you introduce this yeah this this thing or you put just more windows when the players can be moved because we we all saw that Kevin Pangos is not going to last long in yeah, Milan yeah. for instance so let's let's help him let's make this uh, first uh, transfer window right. in the end of November for so instance in the end you had all the answers so you could have just started with it yeah but no, nobody is looking for answers. I mean, this whole topic was brought out on for a few days and everybody, they were just sharing some reactions. Although nothing has been decided, nothing is going to be decided that quick. Although I was inspired by the motivation of Goran Sasic, you know, to introduce this train system for the coming season. 
I believe it might be too early. We don't have enough time to make those uh, parameters into one place to find the best solution for all parties. And you have to do it basically before the July's uh, meetings. Uh, that's not much time, but I believe that for the future, they could improve this situation. For instance, like, you know, uh, all the ideas are welcomed. And one of my ideas would be just to postpone the transfer window. If we see Jalgris, you know, having no plain hopes, uh, they could move Keenan Evans easier to, to, to some teams that are interested in signing those players and improving their chances to fight for the title final four or, or top eight. But hey, trades would be good for media, you know, yeah. and the EuroLeague itself. For, for the like EuroLeague, NBA, yeah. NBA have games every day. EuroLeague have games once or twice per week. And if you have trades, you would have much more rumors. And uh, you would have so much more to talk about when those games are not on. So I think EuroLeague also would win a little bit from this. More attention to the EuroLeague. Yeah, by the way, we kind of uh, clarified the situation about the trade idea yesterday i think on bn insider platform this is the platform exclusively for bn plus members so they get a better more scoops or a better glimpse of what is happening behind the scenes so join us on basketnews.com plus to get those uh this inside information that is circulating uh, in the year league uh so that's about it about those trades uh, let's get back uh, on the court and Fenerbahce Partizan was the game that we all watched at some parts of that uh, game. Augustus, what would be your, let's say, thoughts? It was My very thoughts, interesting roller coaster, I would yeah. say. Fenerbahce Partizan built a 19-point lead, right? Uh, or 16-point lead uh, in the first half, basically in the second quarter. And Basically, Fenerbahce, they were leading by almost 20 points in the fourth quarter as well. Yeah, it was such a huge swing. Uh, um, they started, I think, 19-33 result in the second quarter. Uh, I'm not sure what was the max uh, 56 advantage. 56 to, ni- to 19. 36-19. Oh, they made another three-pointer after that timeout. Okay. Uh, basically, what happened is Bruno Caboclo just uh, made another game where he makes three three-pointers in, in one quarter. He started off the same way against Bayern München in the first game that he signed for Partizan. Then he had the same, I think, against Jalgiris uh, and another game. And now I think it's the fourth time he makes three three-pointers in one quarter. And he just, uh, you know, Fenerbahce were not switching in the first quarter. And he was amazing. But then uh, Fenerbahce regrouped. Fenerbahce started switching basically everything from the second quarter and uh, as Jesikavichus have done has done quite many times already he just simplifies the defense for Fenner let's just switch and then we will work out the disadvantages and stuff like that so I think it was important uh, <clears throat> one thing to notice you know Shada Jelko matchup and there were two highlights for me from this um, Papayani steps on the court uh, in the in the middle of the first quarter plays for two minutes forgets the set play actually after two minutes but but scores uh on the same possession because he just okay let's just i forgot a set play i will go set a screen i will roll to the rim and good things happen he gets a dunk but jonathan motley is already uh going to sub him in so this is the standard this is a reminder of the standard jessica sets for his players and of course papayanis then later played in the second quarter and in the second half but just you know, 
If you don't remember a set play after a timeout, especially, you're going to be on the bench uh, pretty soon. So that was a funny moment. And from Jelko's side, uh, Partizan were making quite a few defensive errors um, in, the, in, the, in the second quarter. And every guy would just raise the hand. Oh, you know, it's my bad. Oh, you know, it's my bad. I should have been here on the, on the weak side. And third, fourth time that this happens and I see just Jelko. Why are you showing me like this? Why just go play defense instead of, you know, raising this hand that it's it's your fault. So it was kind of funny to see these two moments from these two great head coaches. But in the second half, the most important thing was um, Fenerbahce's small ball lineup. Nate Sestina, Nigel Hayes-Davis were playing at the center. And their two best lineups were uh, Jan Madar, uh, Dorsey, Goodrich, uh, Sestina, and either Dyson Pierre or Nigel Hayes-Davis. So none, none of their three centers actually played. And these two lineups were plus 19 in nine minutes. So this, this was the game changer. And Nate Sestina, uh, shout out to him. First great game for him with Fenerbahce jersey this season in the EuroLeague. He had uh, four three-pointers uh, this season made, four of 23 before yesterday. He made four out of five against Partizan. And uh, so great game for him. He is climbing from 17% now to 28% in three-point percentage. So uh, beautiful basketball by Fener overall. I think they're enjoying uh, so far. They're playing really great offense. Of course, Partizan, a lot of mistakes defensively. They need to do a better job on that side of the court if they want to be real contenders. Same the start of Partizan, right? It was the, the same last Partizan, year. Yeah. So same. This in this game, their offense could not uh, outweigh their defensive mistakes. Against switch all, I think uh, Fenerbahce got better versatility, like attacking not only through the perimeter, but attacking through their bigger wings and uh, just playing some off-ball screens. That And Partizan were basically trying to play one-on-one -on -one from the perimeter and it just didn't work. And on defense, you know, Partizan, so... Yeah, um, when they stopped sharing the ball in the second quarter, I think it was one of the key problems. The other key problem was Caboclo getting the third foul in the yep. beginning of the second quarter. He basically got three fouls in the span of three and a half minutes in the end of the first quarter and in the end of the second quarter. And he was important all around, both offensively and defensively. Fenerbahce couldn't couldn't handle him at all. And as soon as he, he, he was benched, you know, Partizan, they got in this huge, huge uh, hole that uh, led uh, Fenerbahce to, to, to close the gap. Uh, but to be honest, I read some comments in the WhatsApp group that, you know, the game was decided when Caboclo got that first foul. But uh, yeah, Fener it, this helped Fenerbahce to come back into the game. But in the second half, Caboclo was playing and Partizan were switching with him. He wasn't doing a great job yesterday, like one-on-one -on -one defensively. Yes, we saw already some games where Caboclo is really great on the perimeter, but yesterday it wasn't that. He allowed like Goodrich to go to his left side. He allowed, I think... Um, but maybe he was impacted by those, you know, quick calls. Maybe that's what took him out of his rhythm. I mean, I wouldn't agree that it was the major game changer, but for sure it had an impact for, for the change of the momentum of the game in the second quarter. Yeah, it, it had impact in changing the momentum, but in that run that Fenner made in the second half, it mm, was a 24-2 20, yeah. run in the eight minutes uh, mm. and be between third and fourth quarter. So I think there he was playing. He didn't do a good enough job, good job enough mm. defensively, you know. Of course, he there is too much wanted from him in, you know, in Partizan, basically. 
because other guys also need to step up. So, but uh, and one more thing, Tyler Dorsey. Oh yeah, wow. <laughs> One what, big thing, I would say. What a game. Yeah, I, I talked uh, for five minutes about the game, but I wanted to keep him, you know. Uh, I really thought that you are going to miss him. No, no, no. In the end, I had him as my last note. Dorsey, spectacular. Some crazy shots. One-on-one. Uh, -on -one, uh, in the first half, he was um, basically helped by Partizan's lack of concentration defensively. Uh, I'm saying again, but they have to do a better job off the ball. Partizan especially, they're giving up advantages too easily and this creates uh, then a domino effect where you need to help and you are always in behind and and that's just too easy against good teams and then after Dorsey felt the rhythm, it was it was over. First, yeah, first of all, Dorsey benched Caboclo basically and I wouldn't agree with those soft calls but you know, it's another topic, uh, officiating topic. Uh, he benched Caboclo. He also made some tough shots when they started this run in the second quarter, and he was also crucial in the, that last run in the second half. Uh, he scored 24 points. I think it was his sec consecutive game where he scored over 20 plus points. And again, we're talking about his top two uh, high scoring performances uh, this season. And what I loved about Dorsey, especially in this game, that he was aggressive attacking the rim. I mean, because sometimes he tries to make it easier uh, to make it in a lazy way, shooting those three pointers and etc. I mean, he's doing a good job at, at, at this point, at this department. But uh, I think that Shadis needs him and wants him to be more aggressive and to create more opportunities from there for himself and, and for, for the other players when they try to uh, help him. But yeah, Dorsey and of course Sestina scoring those 14 points in the second and third quarter alone where Fenerbahce won this uh, two quarter stretch by 16 points. They were they were just crucial. Like Charles even drew up a special uh, after timeout play for Nate Sestina, you know, coming off a corner exit screen and this is not something we have seen a lot uh, so far during Fenerbahce season, but it was his night. He's finally shown he finally showed that he can he is a shooter. That's why Fenerbahce signed him. So I think uh, he will remember this night and will try to build off of this good performance. I like what Nick is actually doing under Sharas as well. But hey, we probably need to move to another topic. But but just... Uh, yeah, we, sp we spoke enough about Kalatis, I think. Mm -hmm. We spoke enough good words about him. What was your impression, Ritas? I know that you were cooking some uh, something when the game I was, was on. I was just, um, I mean, I I got back home after Jalgiris game and I just I was just preparing pasta, slicing onions, and I don't think that's that's uh, <laughs> the uh, best uh, uh, environment uh, for analysis. I don't think, yeah, <laughs> I can provide any quality analysis watching a game while slicing onions, garlic, preparing cheese, and uh, cooking pasta. So no, that's what usually the people do in the comment section, you know. <laughs> Well, they, they, they watch the game that way. That's how this game I, works, actually. I, I'm kind of self-aware. This, this is what happens, I think, sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. this is, I think, what happens why people are saying every game is decided by the referees. Because <laughs> yeah. you are not watching the game, uh, you know, <laughs> that closely. So yeah. you see one questionable foul and you're like, oh my God, this, this referee is EuroLeague Mafia. Oh my God. I, <laughs> I see these tweets every day. It's crazy. Like, can hey, you just please uh, guys stop? And No, they won't stop, man. They won't. No. It, it, you can, there you are. So there always need those, this conspiracy that prevents our team from winning. Yeah. So, you know, there are, it's always going to be there somewhere. Bad decisions happen. Like, okay. I agree. Even yesterday, I was like, 
how is this an unsportsmanlike foul against Chalgiris, uh, against Valencia in the in the third or fourth quarter? But but referees don't decide games; players do on the court. Yeah, and I'm I'm self-aware. I'm I don't like speaking about something if I don't feel confident. Uh, I can bring any any good takes like you provided good solid analysis uh, my input is not needed here <laughs> i i saw some moments like i saw sestina's uh, shots and all that but more or less i was just listening to our commentator so yeah mm. uh anyway yeah th that was a game that had a lot of uh swings let's say in the first half it seemed like kevin punter's hot but then in the second half he he's cold they didn't allow him to score anymore and well-deserved another well-deserved win for Fenerbahce mm, by the way I think if I by the uh, first of all uh, I addressed this officiating question for those concerned about EuroLeague Mafia I addressed this question to Paulus Matunas again watch this uh, interview on Basket News uh, YouTube channel another good thing to good reason to become BN Plus subscriber all of our BN Plus uh, members had a chance to address the questions and the topics they were concerned about to Polis Matunas and I actually brought up like five or six questions coming from Beyond Plus community. So basketnews.com slash plus. Just the last question about Fenerbahce. I think we covered it pretty well with Ritis already when Sharas took over. Uh, but in seven games, Fenerbahce won six games. Uh, according to Bibolytics, I've checked that during Sharas' tenure, let's say in Sharas' era, Fenerbahce delivers the best uh, offensive rating, according to Bibolytics, uh, the best true shooting percentage, the best rebounding percentage, and the best assists average. And th th these are major changes. For instance, uh, under the Tudis, they were 13th uh, offensively, and they were 17th by rebounding percentage. But my question to Augustus would be, what was the major change you noticed Ben Sharas took over? I, I One big thing. Is there such thing? One big thing, yeah. um, the biggest thing that stuck to your mind. I don't know. Um, a lot of small details, I would say. Not one big thing. Definitely the lineups, the rotations have changed. Uh, but uh, overall, I, I I believe that Charas haven't had, like installed a one huge thing. You know, you see the five out offense with Motley with off ball screening action that they played kind of played for Vesely when he was in Barcelona. But they don't use that often. I think they have really great balance right now. I think the players... Okay, now that I was started talking, maybe the biggest thing is that the players... Uh, the players' mood, I would say, in the team. They, they look like they're way more happier right now. Mainly because I don't think, you know, Escavages is better than Etudis. I'm not comparing those two at the moment. But it's simply because of the change. And uh, all the players seem to be concentrated focused i think they needed this this fresh start everybody wants to play their best at the moment because they want to have a bigger role and i think this is what is impacting fenerbahce uh, the most at this moment there are uh, some changes in the set play some special situations uh, but itudis also had that i just think there is maybe a little bit more ball movement uh, when talking about um, things on the court so 
uh, I, I think yes, cabbages are changing small details, but overall the the mood of players are really you know changing the picture at the moment. But the the sample size is so small; those numbers can be inflated really easily. So you kind of probably will have to compare after the regular season those numbers. I just think that he took over a team that was already good, yeah. But they maybe needed some improvements, like. They were not on a losing streak. They weren't in crisis. They weren't beaten at no. home. So he just took over a good team in order to maybe improve certain areas to make them even better, to, to help them uh, get that extra step, let's say. And we see that happening right now. Uh, of course, there's still a long way to go. Uh, there's still a lot of games in the regular season. But it's just uh, the quality, like, what I like so far is is their rebounding. They didn't look like a good rebounding team before, but ever since uh, Sharas took over, even in in the very first game uh, versus Monaco, you could already see an improvement in in rebounding department, which is huge. I think that like rebounding is key. Uh, yeah. be, being a good rebounding team already helps you to set the rhythm of the game and and, and all that stuff and second chances offensively. Uh, so, and rebounding. These, is, these are my thoughts. And so rebounding far. is what you know, energy plus fundamentals. Yeah, but exactly. If you lack energy, it's no, not not like schemes or any any. No, uh, also responsibility of, of each yeah, player on the court. Emphasizing this, but but mostly it's players, you know, focus mm. the boxing out and the energy first yeah. and first and foremost. And if you're not happy playing under one yeah. coach, you suddenly have a new coach and. You have more energy, you have more will, you have desire, you're you're winning when you are on the court. Your mood is your overall mood is, is is better. So, you know, they started off good and they're building off of that, kind of like what Valencia did, I think, uh, at the start of the season. Yeah, and since I mentioned it to this, uh, according to SDNA, it this is the uh, front or uh, front runner to replace Adam John if FS decides to uh, fire the head coach. And I remember I actually checked out my WhatsApp history and I got this, you know, I would call it scoop that, hey, watch out because FS is considering a coaching change and this might be the guy. I got it like in the end of December and I was like, come on, man, they're, they have so many injuries. They're always, usually they stay close in those games against big teams. I mean, why? I mean, it feels like that we are here behind this table. We are bigger at them John believers when... We, if we could combine all the all the Turkish fans in, in, in Turkey uh, and watching their perspective of uh, Erdemcan, but okay, I'm not trying to set a narrative for this discussion. But it would is replacing Erdemcan in or out, gentlemen. Well, I'm not out about the idea that it this could be a great coach for FS, but I'm 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 out with the idea of of firing Erdemcan like. Uh, if you're trusting a new head coach to build something, maybe you need patience and and just to look at the circumstances he's dealing with 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 injuries. Just recently, they had a crazy four overtime record-breaking game in Madrid. Uh, they were so close to beating Madrid in visiting center, and they were one shot away, or maybe one good possession away in, in the second overtime and the third Plus overtime. Nine. So. 
it's kind of unfair to the to the coach you have right now, and it again brings up the discussion about the Euroleague, where every team wants to be in the playoffs, where every game matters, and you you might make a coaching change even for a short term effect. Uh, you're not building a team like in the NBA where the coach is, let's say, growing together with the roster. So, I don't know, man. I think Erdem Jan is a promising head coach, and I wouldn't want to see him losing his job. And uh, Yeah, of course, they're, they're losing games. It doesn't help in the standings. You look at the standings and you see that Ephesus is, is kind of far away from the top six, and you're thinking about the playing at best, but... Uh, honestly, I'm out, and it has nothing to do with 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 the Tudis. Or you could throw any other name like Tudis, Parasovic, mm-hmm. any other coach that that could be considered. Like I, I just, I, I would like to see Artem Jan keeping his job, and that's it. I'm out too, to be honest. I'm out too, and I've already said it on on, on Twitter. But just, do you know how many players have suited and played for? FS in the EuroLeague for at least one game. Different, you mean different players? Different players that have played at least one game uh, for 18, maybe? 16? 17. 17. Okay. 17 players. Valencia have 19. How many played all games, actually? Uh, two guys. Wow, two guys. Shane Larkin and Darius Thompson are the only guys who played 20 games. Uh, Tyreek Jones, 19. He missed... Uh, wow. He injured his game. shoulder in Madrid. Yeah, he missed yesterday's game. Then after this, we have Rodrigue Bourbois at 16 only and Justus Hall at, at 15. But he's playing eight minutes per game, so yeah. we're yeah. Sp- actually talking player. about four core players that played most of the games. And others, they basically almost miss 50% of the games. Yeah, Will has played And we're played talking on. about important players like Will Clyburn, before it was Ante Zizic, Derek Willis, Elijah Bryant, Tibor Plyce. Tibor Plyce. Wow. So... It's. I agree that definitely Ephesus uh, wins and losses are below their standard, below what they have on the roster. But you can't ignore the fact of how many injured guys they have. You can't ignore the fact of how many players are coming and going from this team. Like, they have guys that played only in the domestic league in this season. Like Daniel Oturu, fantastic signing. He's played nine games in the EuroLeague for them. But he was playing in the Turkish dom- domestic league just this season. Um, Derek Willis is coming from the Euro Cup. He had to play center position yesterday against Matthias Lesort because after missing like a few weeks of action, da- Dan Oturu gets a second foul in the first quarter, gets a technical on top of that. I, you know, Euroleague did not show us what he said, what he said or, or did. I did not really understand that technical foul, but it all of a sudden it's Derek Willis against Matthias Lesort in the post. What can you do? The help has to come and and. Marius Grigonis all of a sudden is making three-pointers. Yes, they have some problems. Uh, Defensively, sometimes they lacked yesterday, but against Real Madrid, they were great. I just, you know, think that Erdem Can is having that Sharuna Siesikevic's type of moment in Jalgiris when Jalgiris lost nine games um, in a row. row. FS haven't lost that many games in a row, but I think they are struggling. But from what I've seen, he has all the right things, you know. The He has his players playing hard. He has uh, great sets. Uh, some people were mentioning that, okay, but he's taking off good players when they are hot. Yeah, maybe he does that sometimes because, you know, like again, like I said about Charis, 
you make one mistake that you you make one big mistake and he's going to sub you but i think fs have to be patient with this coach i think he has a great future and taking into consideration what they went through this season mm. i'm also out of itudis replacing itudis or any other coach replacing yeah adam john to be fair, we shouldn't even talk about the two this. We, yeah. we yeah. should just be talking whether we're in or out uh, about the coaching change in in FS because uh, it's kind of unfair to Dimitri Sitoudis to talk about him where, when mm. he actually has nothing to do with it. It's just a rumor at, being spread. And at the same time, uh, the reason that it is free is something that actually inspires teams to think and consider coaching changes. That's also another part of a coaching change market. If there's somebody on the market, something as big as Shalunas Sikavichus was for Fenerbahce, if he wasn't there, I mean, I believe that Fenerbahce would have kept to do this. And if this was not available right now, maybe FS would have different thoughts. But it's so... Uh, there are a lot of aspirations to make this, make this coaching change. Because at the same time, you know, from the market perspective, uh, in the offseason, there might be more teams that will be looking for the head coach. And maybe if this is your, you know, target at the head coach, if he's somebody that you believe that could guide the team, maybe the, it's the the only mm. window when you can actually get him. But I'm the one who supports new coaches. Uh, I like new faces in this uh, close circle that we have in the EuroLeague. And as somebody uh, mentioned in the comments under the trade topic, we we actually have trades. We have coach trades. Actually, coaches are moving the places, uh, uh, switching teams, and I, I'm I just I would like to en encourage guys like Erdem John. I mean, he's a hard worker. He has different mindsets, interesting ideas, and he just needs time, especially in under uh, these uh, circumstances. Yeah. Uh, because we already mentioned all those reasons why they might be um, not meeting somebody's standards but their own standards let's, their let's be clear own standards as the club at the same time we have to understand that you know this peak fs uh, it's it's already a history and they're about to reduce the budget uh, to, to to make some uh, cuts of course they should be in a better situation right bend right now but it is what it is uh i tried to think uh, look at some positives what erdem john brought and actually I would say that Shane Larkin is playing his best basketball since this COVID season when he was clear MVP and just this COVID yeah. stopped him from, from getting an award. And yeah, he would be an MVP candidate right now if his team was winning. Yeah, and if his team was healthy and if it was uh, winning. And of course, it's a big credit to Erdem Jan because he decided to build a team around Shane Larkin. And there are a lot of people who are saying that, oh, Darius Thompson could be utilized in a different way. But at the same time, a lot of emphasis are on Shane Larkin and for him to, to, to be the perfect version of himself, which he's doing uh, mm. on the court. It's all about different pieces. Uh, I mean, I see arguments behind... I, I mean, you mentioned that his players are playing hard, but I would say they're not playing hard enough. And I think that they have the problem that maybe Fenerbahce had with the two this with all these little def uh, details uh, with defensive assignments with smart fouls with rebounding because they have a last uh, defensive rating in the EuroLeague and you know it was something that was not mm. clicking from the start of the season so you might say that he's not demanding enough in a way to uh, fulfill those small details into the perfection but we're talking or, about the new EuroLeague head coach so you have to be patient yeah. uh, did this team play better defense last season 
Oh, they, they, they weren't. It, a, it was impossible to play worse defense than they did last year. I mean, they, they weren't known yeah, for their defense it's, even it's, when they were winning titles. To compare those teams, I believe. Yeah, I like. I know everybody agrees that they should be better defensively, and probably the coach wants to see them better. But they weren't a defensive-minded team even when they were winning titles. I mean, yeah, they, but had, they had but they had potential, not, but but they were not worst defensive team worst defensive rating in the league when they were when they were actually winning games. no they weren't worst yeah of course they weren't worst i'm just saying like watching fs i don't have that feeling like they gave up uh, i don't have the feeling that they have a problem with the coach uh, like that game in madrid yeah. is, is 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 a very good example to me they wanted to win that game desperately they did everything to win that game um during the game maybe there was some luck involved because Madrid just couldn't make shots it was more about Madrid not making shots than FS playing some excellent defense but still you were in a position to beat the current EuroLeague champions away from home and and I don't have the feeling like they gave up that's why I'm, I'm saying that I wouldn't change the head coach but I know how this business works we said more or less the same things about Jalgiris and, and Coach Maxfit. It's like mm-hmm. we don't want to see a coaching change happening, but eventually it happened. And I believe it's hard for the owner or the GM to have this, you know, mental uh, transition from be- being a champion, back-to-back champion, one of the most dominant teams in the yearly history, to somebody which is failing to be in the top eight uh, circle for the consecutive season, and especially having this transition transition season like uh, this year. Uh, and sometimes, you know, just like in Jalgiris' case, when they made it to the top eight and they thought that they're, they're top eight team, which which is not. Uh, but yeah, when you look at facts, they okay, they lost five straight, but the biggest deficit that they had was seven points against Panathinaikos and Basconia. So they're always close. So I don't know, but that's that's not uh, our call. Tony Parker did a call on coaching department, and not just he fired, departed ways with Gianmarco Pacheco, but Tony Parker also had some harsh statements on media. Anything that. Mm, surprised you anything that um, made you think uh, brought you some some ideas about the this whole parting ways process i don't know why is it necessary to like make it public your dis- disappointment with the coach like he didn't follow some agreements that you had uh well okay you you fired him it was your decision we respect that but is it really needed to go out in the media to say all those things? I'm not really sure. It it seemed weird because Potseko was was fired after winning a game and finally breaking that losing streak. And you could sense in his uh, interview after uh, post game that it was his last game because he already started uh, giving credits to all his assistant coaches and and everybody in the club. So uh, you could see even from his face face that he he realizes is probably his last game but what tony parker said i mean i don't get one thing like he says like uh fighters never quit and it was it was so sad to see him quit and the other part that he didn't trust the young players and he played a short rotation well you build a team from veterans what young players are we talking about yatsov i mean the guy has problems bringing the ball up the court so and since when they're 
so they actually care so much about young players. They lost Vemanyama, they lost Risa Sherd, and Matthew Strojel also. I remember Tony Parker fired uh, Zvezda Mitrovic because he didn't play Theo Maladon enough. So maybe it's something like that. But who are those young players we're talking about? Who are they? What young players were kept on the bench that could actually add quality to the team? And the next day after you fire your head coach complaining he didn't play young guys, you signed Deshaun Thomas. Is he that young guy you're going to play now? Like, I, 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 I don't know. It's it's a veteran team. You could see the roster. It's a veteran team. Um, they are underperforming this season. I think, judging by the quality that they have in the roster, they're better than the standings might show. But the, the thing about a fighter that never quits, Tony Parker trusted his brother for so long to coach that team even though they were losing games they were hopeless uh, in some moments uh, in Euroleague they were like an easy target for everybody and you trusted him for so so long and only this season you finally made a decision to change the coach and it didn't last long and now you're complaining I I don't really get that. Why? Why is it necessary? I don't know what kind of agreements they had between each other that Pozzeco maybe didn't respect or didn't follow. It's on them. But we just heard one side. We didn't really hear a response from from Gianmarco Pozzeco. We know that their primary target was Gordy Herbert, uh, the German national team coach, but they just couldn't reach an agreement, so they went with Pozzeco. And I, that's why I don't see any reason why you should claim to everyone like he did... Uh, we took the risk of signing someone we didn't know and who wasn't my first choice. Everyone knows that we wanted Gordon Herbert. We had to take a coach because there weren't many people on the market. Why have to downplay Potseco and disrespect him so much, trying to show that, oh, we, we want... It's like divorcing with with, with your uh, girlfriend, girlfriend or wife and saying, she wasn't my option. I mean, she wasn't my option just for everybody to know, you know, that that's why I was looking for something way better, way bigger. I mean, it's so unnecessary. It's so unprofessional. Why have to, why you need to make, look uh, Pozzeco, uh bad in, in, in this context? I mean, there were a lot of interesting things, like he was surprised with Pozzeco using a short rotation. That That's his... That's his selling card. I mean, he was using short rotations in Sassari Dinamo and in the Italy national team. So you didn't your you didn't do your <laughs> scouting well uh, enough when you were signing Pozzeco. And actually, if you're complaining that you didn't get your first option, that's your problem. That means that you're a bad recruiter if you <laughs> yeah. didn't manage to sign Gordon Herbert. And, and if you only have one option, like you only have one candidate that you need and, yeah. and all the others and the other are, was someone who you fired after usually, what, four to three days or whatever usually you should be better prepared like okay you parted ways with tg parker and then you then you decided that you want gordon herbert and then you try to have talks and 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 failed i just i just have higher standard for owners like tony parker i always respected him i admired his career to me he he looked like somebody who has a different mentality different uh, approach who is way more innovative. I liked things he did with Asphalt, especially, especially a few years ago, you know, building the um, project, also getting this long-term license, mm. uh, trying to develop a youth academy, Tony Parker's academy, I really like, and liked and still like a lot of things he did. But this, this situation, I mean, from the last three head coaches, he's slamming two of them so hard publicly, and the one who wasn't slammed was his brother. And, you know, there were a lot of reasons <laughs> to criticize his brother, 
and he didn't say a word about him. So, hey. I mean, to me, this is a high level of hypocrisy and just though his remarks, his critiques for address to Gianmarco Gen- yeah. looked unfair. Those comments were unnecessary. And I just yeah. opened the roster. I don't really watch Asphalt that much in the French League, but I opened the roster in the EuroLeague, the players they have registered for EuroLeague. So the young guys we're talking about, Noam Yatsov, Mbai Njai, the rest are born in 1995 or earlier. So they only have two young players. Yatsov, a point guard, like I said, when I saw him in some games, well, it seems like it's tough for him to bring the ball up the court. So what are we talking about? And and the other guy is Mbai Njai, who was a big guy, but uh, as big as you already have, Yusuf Afal, Joffrey Lovern, John Bunu, Mike Scott, so there you have enough body so what young players are we talking about what young players didn't get the opportunities i don't know i think it's embarrassing in the first place to <laughs> trash a coach that you sign after firing uh, another one just uh, two months before so he was your choice so you're basically in my eyes you are trashing your own choices so yeah. i don't know why you need to do that publicly i think um in life, if you are separating with someone, doesn't matter relationship from work or whatever, you don't really need to do. You don't really need to do anything publicly because you never know how that might end up. You might need to call that person to ask for a favor later. And doing this is is just, I think, uh, it's 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 embarrassing from Tony Parker. Yeah, just, but I mean, there's nothing wrong to do mistakes. Just take responsibility and just move on. And as as the results showed, I mean, they beat Zvezda with the new coach. Yeah, they're, they're, they're on a two-game winning streak. They're on a two-game winning streak. They beat Jalgiris with Poceco there, too. I, I loved what Poceco said before that game. Coach, what do you need to do before this game to win against Jalgiris? And to and to, to win the first game, actually, in Villarban yeah. this season, the EuroLeague. He's just like like this, you know, smile. Belief. <laughs> belief. Only, this, only belief can help us. And he was he was so hopeless already at the moment. It was so funny to watch. In a halftime interview, he said, "Like, what do you need to do to maintain the leader or something like that? Play basketball. Play basketball." <laughs> <laughs> I think he knew before. Okay, that. but now, I think he knew before. Now that, the uh, assistant coach who took over, probably as an interim coach, used all twelve players on the roster. None of these guys are young, actually, except from Noam Yatsov, but he still used all of them. Hey, uh, John Ekbunu played fifty-six seconds, so it counts. He used him. Kahudi was one of the best, better player, best players on the court. He's a young guy, no? <laughs> I think he's about to get drafted. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, it's rare when. I, just the last point. I think that maybe there's something behind it, and I'm not talking about Boteco. Whatever he did wrong, or if there was something bad, still you <clears throat> don't need to go as your coach, at your former coach, at your selection, uh, at your choice, so harsh on media. But maybe, you know, Tony had some responsibilities for sponsors. We saw news that they didn't manage to fill up uh, the new arena that they built. And maybe there were a lot of hopes. Maybe his ass is burning at the moment. So that what kind of led him to some irrational comments, some emotional comments. Still, it's not an excuse, but maybe there is something that caused this phase, uh, that made this phase of Tony Parker. But yeah, it's rare when French teams make headlines, just like Monaco did with uh, as well, with uh, sus- suspending uh, Elio Kobo uh, this weekend. Before hearing your reactions, just just wanted to clarify facts uh, uh, with uh, behind the su- suspension. So the thing is that um, 
Okobo had a conflict with a player of Monaco. Um, Twitter spies recognized that it was Donatas Matiunas. They were having some, you know, uh, how, how could I call it? Some vocal disagreements during the game. There was nothing physical. Some speculated that there was some fight in the locker room. Nothing like that. It just the top of the iceberg for Okobo because from the beginning of the season, I heard that uh, there were certain level of concern regarding his body language, his effort, the way he was communicating with his players or, or reacting in some bad situations. Uh, and the, the team just decided to draw a line to suspend him in, in, uh, for an uncertain period of time, which could last for another game or two, like in Mike James' uh, case last season. And maybe it's a wake-up signal for Okobo because he already got a wake-up signal from Vincent Collet, mm. if you remember, following the World Cup. I think it was a timeout where Collet actually directly addressed his player saying, like, uh, just don't do like Elio Okobo is doing something. You know, he was also unhappy with his body language already in the national team. So this this was some ongoing problem that Monaco uh, tried to uh, to solve. But h- how do you think that this might impact uh, Elio Okobo? What do you think about the first half of, of his season and this whole situation? Well, the first half of his season is kind of disappointing. His numbers dropped uh, compared to last season. And we know that Monaco played uh, basically without Jordan Lloyd. Uh, so they needed help from Elio Kobo. Uh, Kemba Walker is just playing some sporadic minutes. Uh, sometimes he scores points, but you, you don't count on him to be the, the second option, uh, the next guy to Mike James. So basically the help that Elio Kobo provided so far wasn't enough. As I said, his numbers dropped. Last season he was averaging... 12 points per game, 12 in PIR. His his shooting percentages were better this season. He's only shooting 30% uh, from free, although he's still playing 25, 26 minutes per game. Uh, maybe it has something to do that that he's a, a little bit tired, both mentally and physically, because during the last two years, he didn't have any rest. He played so many games. He went to deep uh, French League playoff runs with Aswell when they won the title. Then he joined the national team. Uh, he just played so, so many basketball games during the last two two calendar years. Uh, so maybe this break will turn out good for him and he will be back better. But uh, thus far, he hasn't been delivering. Honestly, he's been kind of disappointing. Uh, although the team is doing okay now they play the game without him and Jordan Lloyd is back but he will need time to get back uh, to his rhythm to his shape uh, this this first game after being out for for a long time was was tough on him but they managed to win it so yeah we'll see how long it it it, it lasts uh, it's an unusual situation you would say but Monaco was in a in, in a situation like this uh, last year with Mike James so it's usual in Monaco we, we, yeah we'll see how they deal with it I mean they have players this this year that <clears throat> actually improved from last season if you look at the stats like Alpha Diallo, Alpha Diallo. John Brown and they have Elio Cobo who is underperforming at the same time so it, although he had I would say a high way to perform because Jordan Lloyd was already out in the preseason he's still in and out 
Cambay's camp, uh, we know his situation. So yeah. Monaco needed his his him to deliver. Uh, Okobo was getting his minutes. Uh, Mike James was sharing his role, so he had a great opportunity, you know, to deliver at the highest level. And I really believe that he's Okobo is a very skilled player, great player with the Euroleague star potential. He just need to do some, you know, uh, some. To make some differences with his mentality, with his approach, and he will he will make this switch uh, to, to to reach the elite level. I would well, say. Hopefully, he learn his lesson. Whatever that is, player. they're dealing with yeah. it internally. So hopefully, will he will learn from this. And there's a lot of hope in the club as well. You know, regarding his future, regarding his yeah. uh, potential. So he he has all the all perfect situation. You know, yeah. to to perform. It's up to him to make this Look, change. Last season, when they made it to the final four. That fourth quarter lineup with three guards, Lloyd, James, and, and Okobo, offensively, it, it could be unstoppable. It has so much potential. So this season, we haven't seen it yet because Lloyd was injured. Okobo wasn't performing very well. Now Okobo was suspended. Mm -hmm. But maybe now, after a week or two, finally, they will have all the players ready and Mike James will have more help because uh, at the moment, he's carrying a huge load. Like even yesterday, he basically had to win the game for his team by making the right plays and and he did so at the moment yeah. he's playing best basketball in the Euroleague I think well, he, he is the to me the front runner for the MVP award but there's still a long way to go yeah but just talking about Akobo I think uh it's you know you mentioned that it's probably not the season for him to to do that because he's playing below his level but I think at the same time him not playing uh at his level prior levels what he did in Nashville or what he played how he played last season in Monaco I think this could also have influenced his reaction let's say to his teammates he's he's a little bit disappointed I don't know whether it, it was to the Kemba move that they signed another backward guide a backward guard or is it like because he's not playing to his level so he's like he's disappointed in in his performances and maybe he's lashing out on his teammates because of that you know because that's how you know unconsciously it sometimes works so i hope he you know he deals with it because he monaco definitely need needs him uh to make a deep playoff yeah. run to to be a contender for the final four and so you know uh, hoping he can come back and they can come back to winning. Honestly, I just checked. He was uh, averaging 26 minutes per game last year and he's averaging 25.5 yeah. minutes per game this year. So it's the same. But it's also... He's getting the, the same opportunities. Uh, but minutes and usage rate, I would say... Okay, we, we, should look at, rate. We, we should look at that to be yeah. fair. But well, he's still taking shots. Right. But and Lloyd is probably missing more games than last year. Or at least I have this image. You know, I, so. I don't think that Kemba Walker signing should affect him that much. Like maybe it has something to do. Like I said, we are just trying to speculate what yeah, goes I'm on in Kobo's head. But maybe Mike is playing so good and he's seeing that, and I'm like, oh, I'm not performing at my level, and that's why I'm a little bit unhappy at my situation, just you because know, of how I'm playing myself. So every player goes through some tough, tough moments in yeah. his career, and we're still talking about a young player. Maybe it's a, it's new to him. It's unusual because yeah. uh, when he signed in Europe, he signed with Asphalt, immediately in the first season, he was, he was great. Immediately, people started talking about him. Then he signed with Monaco. It's also do he also had a good first year. They made it to the final four, so it's maybe unusual to him, and maybe you get frustrated mm. and all that. But 
I don't know. I'm not in that locker room. I, yeah. I don't have conversations with these players. I, I don't want to speculate too much. Last topic uh, for Jalgiris fans. Uh, Andrea Trenkere and Jalgiris reached, I would say, a statement win because it's not easy to win in Valencia. We saw teams like Monaco, Fener, Maccabi, Virtus uh, losing on that court. Uh, it was another typical last year Jalgiris victory with Keenan Evans uh, turning into crunch time. Keenan Evans and uh, winning this game against Valencia, although he was close off actually maybe potentially losing the game with the late technical foul. Actually, it was a very interesting and quality call from the referees. Yeah, it's good for I Jalgiris hate that... those calls. I'm sorry, read this. I yeah, but you calls. cannot kick somebody in, in his balls. I mean, he kicked... But he wasn't trying to do that. I mean... Yeah, I don't know. when you are shooting that fadeaway shot and jumping, it's a natural motion for you to kick that leg. And I hate that call, the same call in the NBA. Some mm -hmm. players, when they're doing exaggerating on this, yeah, okay. But that that is natural shooting motion. And I don't understand that rule because mm -hmm. whether you are going right or left, you are going to kick one leg if you're shooting a fadeaway. Same happens with Marcus Howard, Mike James, and, and all that stuff. Everybody's kicking the leg when they're shooting that type of shot so i don't understand that technique. i don't know in, in a lot of situations you can hey, see man, a lot of players they, doing it on purpose so. they should be happy they got a technical and not an offensive foul and two free throws that's right they, that's they, that's the they, way uh, uh someone lost the game i don't remember the team. last year uh, against asphalt or asphalt bar munich that, that was the game oh, yeah. where uh i think, Laverne. I think Laverne yeah went for the shot and he, he was called for the foul and Gifai was sent to the line. And Yeah, actually Valencia lost the game this way last year. Harper was shooting and I think he fouled Okobo by kicking him and he just made Could two be. free throws. Could be. So, in the same gym. So, you know, in this case, they called a technical, which was better for Jalgiris because after the shot, it was nobody's ball. And actually what I saw in the replay, like after the shot, fighting for the rebound, Ulana was kind of pushed Inglis. So it, there's a, it's really possible that if there was mm -hmm. no technical foul call, Lana was would get a, mm. that call on Inglis, and Inglis would would go to shoot two free throws. So, in a way, that technical foul um, didn't hurt Jalgiris as much as they could be hurt uh, with, with with the other call. But uh, I'm not sure if I agree with you about that. Is it a natural natural move like to kick your leg out like this? I mean, Jovic is really close to you, but Jovic doesn't do anything bad, so. Either you leave things as they are or you re react to it somehow. Because I saw players many times pointing fingers at Keenan Evans that he's kind of flopping a bit, looking for, for, for these fouls. And he gets fouled on the three-point line hmm. almost Often, every game yeah. at least once. So, I don't but know. It's on this particular moment. You are He's going sideways. The rim is there yeah. and he's receiving the ball like this. And he's turning his whole body for 19 degrees. So I think um, for 90 degrees, I don't think that's possible. Yeah. But oh, anyway, what did you think about Semi Ojale shot there against Brady Manic? Like Chris Jones doesn't even touch the ball in the uh, most important possession. I of mean, Ojale against Manic is not the worst matchup to have. But, but, to but shoot not in a this three way. Pointer yeah, after the don't dribble. don't need to shoot a three-pointer. Trinkieri said he was happy with that because he saw that shot had no rhythm. Of course. I would say, yeah, I, I agree with you. I would I would like to see Chris Jones with the ball in his hands, but maybe it was like Valencia expected Jalgiris to foul and then Ojeli saw that Manic is not going to foul him, so I'm just taking that shot. I I mean, it's good that you at least had a three-point attempt in the situation mm -hmm. where you're down by three. 
Uh, was it the best shot you could get? It's questionable, uh, for sure. Like it, it, it felt like it had no rhythm as as Trinkieri said. Although Mane kept kept distance, and mm. uh, it's it, it wouldn't be a miracle if if Ogilvy hit that shot. Mm. But anyway, yeah. Keenan Evans and his performance absolutely spectacular. Some of the freeze he made was out of this world. Just Damian Inglis was right in his face for some of those threes. He still the he still nailed those uh, performance. What we have seen, you know, last year from him in the fourth quarter this season, his clutch performances were kind of missing, especially like in the last three minutes of of the game. Sargers lost a lot of close games. This was finally uh, a win. Uh, in, in the last minutes, Andrea Trinkieri is slowly but changing, slow, slowly but surely changing Jalgiris' face. The full court pressure defense made Brandon Davis the playmaker in the, in the first quarter. Um, a lot of different, uh, some, some new set, special set plays for after timeouts for the guys. I enjoyed watching. I love that he's uh, using Lukas Lekavicius way yeah. more. Uh, even though Davidas Gedraitis was again back in the starting lineup yesterday, but Lukas Lekavic just, just gives Jalgiris that ability to drive to the rim, the constant pressure to the paint that Jalgiris didn't have. Like even yesterday, Keenan Evans, six three pointers, if I'm not mistaken, he made six three pointers. He's not the guy to drive to the rim constantly and yeah. make kick out passes. Lukas Lekavic can do that. So. I really miss that in in, in Jalgiris' game, and I'm loving that he's back in the rotation and 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 back playing. And uh, uh, Lukavicius is the th- uh, third best uh, scorer in Jalgiris under Trinkieri, averaging almost nine points per game. So still a small sample size, but you can see yeah. the increase in minutes and usage and, role, and, and everything. everything and he's everything, playing like, the last minutes of the game as well. So quite a lot of minutes with Keenan Evans. I mean. Evans doesn't have to bring the ball yeah. up the court. Uh, exactly. And I said this after the first game. If Lucas is playing more as a point guard, yeah. you have Keenan Evans that is more fresh in the fourth yeah. quarter. And maybe the yesterday yeah. that played a part too. I mean, this season, even though Jalgir is, is losing more than winning, Evans still has some clutch plays. Like he he got Jalgir the overtime in Istanbul. He got the game-winning shot versus Bayern Munich. And in this game, he hit those two big frees. I think in the second half, it was more of Valencia's game. In the first mm-hmm. half, it seemed like Jalgiris uh, controlled the rhythm. They got to the free throw line a lot. Um, they were always leading the game. But in the second half, it seemed like Valencia's game, the way they love playing this this season. Physical game, uh, slow the tempo down a little bit, use your advantages you exploit the mismatches and and they were doing that and he got the lead and they were leading in the fourth quarter as well but then Keenan Evans time came um, a lot of things happened I mean Schmitz and Sportsman like foul um Jalgiris with a four-point lead for two or three possessions in a row just couldn't score and and make it a bigger lead and be more comfortable with it at the end of the game. Brady Manick, you don't expect him to show up in the clutch, but he read the situation perfectly where uh, Davis slipped. So he found that space to drive to the basket. And while driving, he stopped avoiding an offensive foul because Chris Mm -hmm. Jones was already there. If you bump bodies, probably you get an offensive foul, but he just stopped and took that sweet, soft touch 
to score a very important two-pointer. So a lot of things happen, as as, as you said, Trinchieri is implementing new things. We see new rotations. They still don't have practices together, so it's it's hard for the head coach. But I also love the way he's using Lorinas Berutis. I think it's the way that a, a big guy is supposed to be used in today's game. You're bringing the best out of him in the first quarter, in the second quarter. You start the third quarter with him to go strong for four or five minutes, but he's not going to be your center in the fourth quarter. You make up your mind uh, whether you play with Schmitz or, 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 or Hayes, but definitely Berutis is a, is a guy you need to use for, for the first three quarters. So, yeah, it's a, a great win in general. I mean, we saw Halgiris losing so many games of that manner this year. Like, they get to the last minutes and... They just don't don't win, and honestly, with that you know Evans technical foul call, you're the guy who who plays the game from from the three of us. I mean, when I go for a jump shot, I don't really jump, so you know you know it better. <laughs> I, I I should trust your opinion more, probably. Yeah. By the way, it was uh, another drama in Valencia. I checked it from twelve games that they played at home. Uh, Except from one 14-point loss to Basconia, average margin of those 11 uh, games in Valencia was five points. We're mm. talking about five-point difference. They lost. The biggest loss was uh, by seven points or nine points, I guess. So it's it's mm. it's a drama material every time Valencia plays at home. Did you catch uh, Valencia Panathinaikos or at least the last minute of no. the game? No. No. They uh, lost by one. They point? lost by one point, but. The way they lost, actually, it was this foul on uh, Davis Matias Lasort situation. Yep, that was yep, a cra- yep. crazy. Decision. That was a foul. Uh, basically, it's a defensive. They miss a shot for a potential game winner. The game is tied. Oh yeah, and it's a defensive rebound. And Davis and Lasort just went goes for it for the from the three point line, and they both fall down. And Valencia get a foul called on Brandon Davis because. He kind of touches the arm maybe of Matias Lesor, but it's like 1.5 seconds remaining or two seconds and remaining. it's a very unclear situation. It's yeah. a very a 50-50 situation in my mm-hmm. eyes. And so Matias Lesor just goes to the free throw line and wins the game for Pau in, in La Fonteta. And so so that was one of the crazy, crazy endings I saw. But uh, I know we want to finish the podcast, but I wanted to shout out Pau and praise their defense. Um, they're really mm-hmm. surprising me. With their defense this season, they have the third best defensive rating. Uh, I think they are great on rotations uh, on the weak side. They're super active. They're very energetic. And before the season, we talked about they're playing with three guard lineup. You know, they have Marius Grigonis at the small forward position, but they are, they have a really solid you know defensive stance. I love what they're doing. Uh, not a lot of teams are taking advantage of this. And even if they do, they have such great rotations, uh, double teams from help sites. They're really communicating. I don't see many mental errors. And that's that's what t- that's what's telling me that Powell can go really mm. strong this season. I just, to wrap things up, wanted to say two things. Uh, first of all, it was nice to see Kevin Pangos playing again. Uh, another guy who can score from the pick and roll for Valencia and Mombru will still have to figure out which lineups he's going to use with Pangos but it's nice to see him back on the court with a new team and the second thing like just that I listened to your conversation with Jabari Parker uh, a a great great interview in in my opinion Thanks. Uh, would you say it, it ranks 
the top shelf of, of the interviews you had with, with your league players? Uh, Because to me, it was awesome. I would say I have a tier list of interviews I have, uh, but definitely I would put it on the top. Yeah. Because, of course, a lot of comes from, from Jabari himself, the way that he decided to open up in some situations. And, of course, when it goes beyond basketball, when those conversations goes beyond basketball, uh, it's always uh, these conversations are the best. So, yeah, I was surprised and at the same time uh, astonished by the way Jabari carried himself in this interview. There were a lot of stuff as well from Barca. As I said, for the third time already, Paulus Motunas on interview is already on the internet, on Basket News YouTube channel. Just press like, subscribe us, mm -hmm. and see you very soon.